let me let me ask the first question to rahul rahul uh, you have done an mba from mit and uh, the focus of your focus has always been people uh, and their wellness what's your why what's your calling mm that's such a, a nuanced question and a difficult one uh, it's one that i ask myself every day um well it 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 actually started with india um even though i i grew up in the suburbs of new york city in new jersey um i spent every summer going back to india to visit family my cousins my grandparents were there and it was really kind of experiencing having one foot in each one of those worlds and india obviously has has grown substantially in the in the last couple decades but during those early 90s it was very different um from from my new jersey upbringing i remember getting off the plane in mumbai and and thinking to myself like wow this, this like did i just enter a war zone with that old airport and and in the chaos and everything and and i would walk around the streets of mumbai and pune and i would just see people all over the ground that that were in poverty and and there were lepers back then and and things like that and it it really shook me it shook me that that one single doctor couldn't necessarily help all these people this was more of a systemic issue this was more of a macro level issue and so when i was going to college i it was very important to me that i focus on systemic level change on something that can affect them very deeply and personally which was their health. And so I I went to Tufts uh for my undergrad with a focus on community health as well as international development. And so the the first part of my career was very much focused on on helping the physical nature of, of people in more marginalized communities and that's afterwards I joined the UN and and I I joined USAID and worked in Africa as well as parts of Latin America. um now i have much more of an interest in people's mental health and mental wellness um just because i think my own personal interest in 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 being in a lot of different pressure cookers like MIT and McKinsey where you have a lot of that daily pressure um it it it's a different type of challenge when when all your physical needs are being met um but you're still not optimizing for your own personal sense of happiness and so so that's really been my motivation there okay how how can we pe- make people not only when they're they're ailing with physical ailments but at the same time in their day to day as they're going through that grind especially during times of uncertainty like we're seeing right now how can we help them live more fulfilling more purposeful lives that's a great purpose to have rahul and and since uh, you have seen india so i'm sure a lot of a lot of these images and a lot of your experiences have stuck with you and those really help you uh do what you're doing today uh, great job thank you so much looking forward to speaking with you more in the session uh etin you have also kind of moving in a direction where you are a lot concerned about wellness of the world your wellness people's wellness and your latest venture countable uh, you are uh, although you are a cpa but it's a tech platform for cpa by cpa uh tell us a little bit more about your second innings how how things have changed for you how your perception has changed and about countable as well 
Yeah, um, thank you. And thank you for the question. And uh, Rahul, I, I think part of it resonates with me, um, the way my journey happened. I moved about 15 years ago uh, to Toronto and, uh, and I've been in the grind for, I cannot imagine how long. And being an accountant, you know, you, you live for January to May and the rest of the year is, uh, is catching up the breath so you can get ready for the next year. And, and try living that for the rest of your life. And it's just, uh, by the time you come out of the um, December holidays, you're already anxious going into the busy time of the year. It is a very, very different lifestyle. And so there's no thinking time, um, no time particularly. You're always behind the eight ball. So, you know, when you get to the top and you look at it and all you see is success, but no satisfaction. And then you start to define satisfaction differently. And because you've tried all kinds of money aspects of it, you can spend as much as you want, you can take trips, you can do whatever, but you're still craving this learning, creating, experiencing opportunities that you just don't get. And then I come across the book, Be the Change You Want to See, and, and something that I was not really truly resonating until I really hit her hard and start to realize that where is my passion is there, but the alignment of purpose was not there. Why am I solving a problem of one person at a time? How do we really take the passion and align that with the purpose that allows you to solve a billion people problem if we can, or a million people problem if we can? And, and why are we not doing it? Why is it so hard? And, and we're still working 18 hours a day. So what's not changing? And why don't we use that direction a little bit differently? And maybe we can make a meaningful shift. And, and that's what caused Countable to come to exist. We are platform which are focused on education as a bedrock um, and, uh, and we're looking to build something that allows people to save time and give them that thinking time. Then they can choose, then they have a choice. They can choose to either go out and get more clients or choose to spend that time with the family and improvement for themselves and so on and so forth. And that's where the education piece comes in where now we want to, you know, help them understand how life, the way we understand, the way other people understand how life could be truly balanced and in a meaningful manner. So that's what the goal of Carnival and my my particular goal is. Excellent. Uh, that's a great thing. Uh, so yes, so, uh, I think you're absolutely correct. I think uh, in, a, in a very uh, famous book of uh, Napoleon Hill, he, he clearly mentioned that success is not what you have achieved. Success is measured by number of uh, obstacles you have overcome. It's not. It's not measured by number of things that you have. It's measured by number of obstacles you've overcome. So uh, that's a great point again. So success for a lot is money and all those things around it, materialistic success, but I think more meaningful success is when you are truly living a meaningful life and making a difference in people's life. Uh, a lot of people are not able to identify this. You have identified this uh, and congratulations for that. Uh, Dr. Rana, <clears throat> uh, you have been a veteran and you are about 70 years old. Uh, you have seen everything from cop for being a mentor to corporate life to, to being a professor and startups. Now, what do you enjoy the most? Uh, yes, Amit, uh, I'm looking at the previous speakers uh, and uh, these uh, patterns are, uh, that they're describing are so commonplace. And uh, in, uh, in very simple uh, terms, I describe this as curse of humanity, that we have so many questions and we know very well, the thinking people, that there are no answers to certain questions, but we cannot stop seeking answers from that. And that is the curse of humanity, okay? Uh, 
we believe that we have a higher purpose in life, uh, but believe me, there is none, okay? So in simple terms, uh, what I found is that uh, at any point in time, there is something that you are thinking that you should be doing, and there is actually something that you're doing. If there is a disconnect between uh, these two, and over a period that disconnect grows, no matter what you do, okay? Uh, this, that is the, uh, the chaos theory. So when the disconnect grows, you tend to be unhappy, right? So you want to bring them together and you're trying hard and you can't bring them together, right? Uh, and that is the struggle. But what happens is uh, that uh, what you are thinking that is not static, that changes over a period of time. Today you are interested in something, today uh, A gives you pleasure, A gives you happiness, tomorrow B gives you pleasure and happiness, okay? These things are not constant, okay? So if these things are not constant, the mechanisms for aligning them are not constant. So it's a continuous effort that you're doing. And the only way to have that uh, balance is to just watch this drama that goes on, that this is what we are, this is what humanity is, this will go on. So if you create some distance from that phenomena and let things happen, okay? Uh, I'm not going to get rid of this struggle. It's not going to go away, but I can be less impacted at certain level by this struggle and take this as a normal struggle. So that's what I found. So I'm able to uh, keep a distance from uh, uh, what I actually do, and uh, uh, as, a, as a person who is impacted by that, I'm not too much impacted by what I do right now. Uh, another, another thing that I have is, no matter what I say there, it's, it's not correct, okay? The moment I utter it, it becomes incorrect. Things are changing so dynamically that I cannot... Uh, uh, claim that uh, that something is true, something is right, because it is not, okay? Uh, uh, if it is right at the moment, it won't be right at the next moment. So it's it's such a fleeting thing uh, that's going on. And, and that's what there is to it. Uh, you know, uh, when, when, when you describe people by their resumes, their uh, past, uh, you know, achievements or uh, failures or whatever, to me, that doesn't uh, make any sense. If our past is defining our future uh, or creating a perception about us, that to me is a big bottleneck. And that's the issue exactly we deal in corporate decision-making. When we are data-driven, you're looking at the past. Uh, if past is limiting our future or describing us, then there is no scope for innovation. There is no scope for creativity. Uh, there is no, no scope for evolution. And evolution is going to happen no matter what there. Uh, you can be burdened with the past and just stay there or uh, just go with the flow with the evolution and don't be burdened with the past. Absolutely. And only way that you can achieve that is by creating a distance. Between Absolutely. what is going on and uh, uh, that's a very important point, Dr. Rada. I think uh, yeah. change is the only constant. We all know that, and things will keep changing. And people do things first, and then they justify it. And your past is not is not going to define your future. I think those are very important concepts 
Dr. Rana has mentioned, uh, totally agree with you. I think Shani was nodding her head and smiling. And Shani, uh, you have been helping about 1,400 startups. So tell us a little bit more about it. And um, uh, you you were also uh, agreeing, Dr. Rana. So tell us about that as well. So first of all, thank you so much, Dr. Rana. I mean, this was very inspiring, especially in my case. I mean, in this, this early in the morning, I did not expect these pearls of wisdom, but I completely agree. And I really, really appreciate you reminding me of the kind of the you know, validating. I know you say everything you say, the second you say it becomes being true, starts being true, but you just simply validated the, I think our existence overall, uh, it is about the gap. It's definitely about the gap. And it's kind of also where we fit in. We work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are visionaries and it's great. And there's also a lot of, obviously, as you guys know, there's a huge hype around startups and the ecosystem. Everyone's chasing the exit. So it also creates this huge layer of noise um, and you gotta, you gotta filter through, but our work has become more about identifying the assets and the values within that noise, right? So it's not about when entrepreneurs come to us, we try to figure out what it is and what they're trying to create that has value, not just for in three layers, right? For the community, from a technology standpoint, but also for them, because, you know, as you mentioned, it's about getting through these obstacles, identifying what it is you wanna do, identifying where it has value, um, and then the worst thing is, that unfortunately, also identifying business model where the market fit, what we call the market fit, uh, which is the most annoying thing in the world. But, you know, this, this is something that this is a trick that the consulting firms have came up with that in storytelling to define a value of a company to try to figure out why a company becomes a success and why it doesn't. So going back to where our focus is, we started by looking to develop and invest in startups, early stage startups that will help artists make money. We wanted to create a social correction uh, from the tech giants that actually kind of destroyed the industry for the creative uh, for the creators. If it's you, you know from Napster to to YouTube and you know Apple defining the cost of a song by a dollar regardless of the production cost and all these different models that only took into consideration the financial aspect and the uh, technology aspect, but not actually the needs of the uh, creator community. So that's where this started from. We started in Israel and it's expanding worldwide and it's great. Unfortunately, it's very much a niche because people still are not focused enough on that. So we're working with Deloitte, we're working with other firms to try and educate entrepreneurs on how to identify the pain points of the industry and build solutions for that space. Um, now, doing that, we've been working with the largest organizations in the world from the Schubert organization to you know the music labels to everyone across the board and that we, They've also identified that they have to follow the need. It's not enough about just to focus on the business model. They have to follow the pain points. They have to follow the need. And to do that, you got to be in listening mode. You know, when we first started Technoad the first year, we started Deloitte. I think I see in three months, I met with about 500 startups, including, you know, artists in pain trying to figure out what, what they're doing next. Um, and um, you, have to, you have to listen. So a lot of our work is listening. Uh, there's definitely a psychological aspect to that. A lot of that discusses the gap of what it is that the entrepreneur actually wants to do and why they're doing it. Big chunk of the, uh, the, uh, the value of the process. Um, and um, what we try, we do all the best we can to navigate in the right direction based on our experience. Um, but um, you know, it's, a ch it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's an exciting challenge, but it's a challenge. Absolutely, absolutely. So yes, so uh, Shani is doing fabulous work for people who are artists and painters and trying to give them a platform so that their businesses can also grow. Uh, great work, Shani, there. Uh, coming again to you, Etin. Uh, 
so a lot of people in the world like like yourself like for example you your specialist speciality is cpa but countable is more of a more of a platform a technological platform which you perhaps do not have a lot of expertise in like the technicalities of it the how to develop a software platform so whether an entrepreneur who is who has great ideas but who is not who cannot do software development themselves should be doing such stuff and what um, are the I, pros and cons of it yeah um there's a lot of really factor i mean you know most of the times i don't want to be the uh, guy who's saying it depends um but there is a lot of things that are dependent on a lot of different factors um you, you know maslow pyramid of needs says you know you want to self actualize yourself first meet your needs sustain yourself and then go out change the world um, you know every every airplane says you want to give somebody oxygen get the oxygen first and then go out and give somebody else uh, oxygen so it it kind of goes the same way from an entrepreneurship perspective you know i've been a professional 15 years of my life i don't think i can get an accountant out of me but i can find room in me to have an entrepreneur along with the accountant and i think it goes hand in hand living the pain and then sharing that pain drives the passion and i don't think if i would have to you know i i'd never understood the concept there is no such thing as making money you you solve a problem by using the passion if the bigger the problem the the better the solution the better the abundance and by the time you figure it out you don't even need abundance um at least in my case i can speak for that very clearly that once you get this taste of solving the problem and then it becomes such a big passion and driver for you then you wouldn't enjoy you wouldn't have time to enjoy because you want to solve more and more problems and it becomes a challenge and so it is exciting if anything um and when i went out of the journey i was looking for things and i can go back and do a job and make the same money and do something else it wasn't exciting um and it was very comforting so um, i was at that stage in my life that all the other pieces personally fit in together for me to make this decision and once you make the decision you have now chosen from becoming a entrepreneur to an entrepreneur it's a very cliche word but then there's a lot of people who think about it and then the next moment they think is how difficult it is and how many people are already doing it and that is the worst thing you can do to an idea because even if there are 10 million things done the same way you will still have a completely new perspective of doing things and and it's still worth uh, getting that out in whatever form what we started what i started thinking about doing it um is not the idea that we have today it evolved in the less than a year and i can i'm sure everybody who's in the on the panel and and the and the listeners could vouch for the fact that you don't start with what you end up being you just start with the why that you care to do and care to live uh, your vision and the mission statement and everything else just goes along the way i started as just me myself and i and from there i found the co-founder that resonated with my values i found the investors who cared i found the board who cared i found the people who send me emails every single day today in the busy time and say i think you can change it here you can do this here you can change this better and so i'm not alone you will find yourself along the journey so many people who help you get there um you just need to have a starting point and then strong enough courage to be able to do it um and sustainability to be able to see through because most startups do fail because they go too fast and too quick and not having enough sustainability behind them and well thought out process behind it um so that's that's just a very short version of it i don't want to take up too much time i want to give everybody an opportunity to be able to share their thoughts if they want to excellent that's a great point i think uh, you were bang on it uh rahul 
I'm sure you have heard it in uh, a lot of people are doing that. I mean, uh, of course, not have a lot of people are running basically and running and running and running and making some money and per, per, perhaps they they lack the purpose, perhaps, and they're not mentally healthy, they're not mentally happy. So how do you help such people? What's your What's your strategy to help people who are running a race? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're moving faster. It, they're just moving faster as if they're moving on a treadmill, but they're not going anywhere. Definitely, definitely. A lot of people, especially right now, might be feeling that burn or that exhaustion. And, and I think that's why burnout has become such a topic of global discussion right now. In fact, the World Health Organization states that, in fact, it is a global emergency. It's the second pandemic um, following COVID is the mental health effects of COVID. And even though we are not commuting right now, a lot of us are still in social isolation, um, you know, I, ideally we would be having more time to, to do what we want. But what we're doing is we're actually filling up that time with more work. We're working longer hours as well as we're sleeping less. And so that is making that treadmill you talked about, that metaphor, run even faster. And so, so now we're really feeling um, kind of overwhelmed uh, by the amount of work that we have to do. And to, and to go back to that question about connection to the work, most people don't realize that purposeful work or value-based action that's actually one of the best ways to mitigate burnout. If you find inherent joy in what you're doing, and that's always been my litmus test for anything I've ever done, whether it's helping HIV positive mothers in Uganda, or if it's helping a Fortune 500 in the US do a multi-billion dollar acquisition, my litmus test was always, would I do this for free? Is the action itself fulfilling enough? Am I learning enough? Is it, is it really pushing me forward um, that, that the, the action itself is, is worthy of doing? Um, and then if that's the case, you're going to feel less burnt out by doing it because you're already drawn to doing it. And so that's really about aligning what is your passion to what you're doing. Now, a lot of us have jobs where we don't like the job itself or we don't like aspects of that job. And so one of the things that I'm always advocating for, are there parts of that responsibility or that job where you can find meaning in? And, and maybe it doesn't even have to do anything about your title or what your main purpose of that job is, but can you find those little moments of, of light throughout the day where that's what's gonna give you purpose? And because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to contribute. We're trying to, to find meaning in our everyday actions. And so having purposeful work is certainly a way that can, can help reduce some of that, that stress that we're feeling right now when we're feeling over. Great. As a good bit of advice, uh, Rahul, I think uh, the concept of enjoying what you're doing is very important because you're going to spend 80% of your life working. If you're working it's a five days a week, it was about 80% of your life you're working. It's, it's very important to enjoy what you're doing. Otherwise, it's it's not worth it. So a lot of people in the world do not enjoy what they what they do. And a lot of times they also do not have option of changing it. What do you tell them? 
Yeah, and, and this actually goes back to the conversation or or what Dr. Rana was saying about there, there doesn't have to be necessarily um, a disconnect between what's actually happening versus your reaction to what's happening, this idea of acceptance, um, that regardless of that external stimuli, there, there's a way for you to still be, for, for you to be happy with that. Um, oftentimes, and, and, and Shani also mentioned about that gap, oftentimes the, the, the unhappiness or the frustration comes from there are things that you want and there are things that you have. And that gap between those two is, is where we find disconnect. Um, and so one of my favorite sayings is, is the key to happiness is simple. All you have to do is want what you already have. And so if you can find a way to, to reevaluate your expectations to saying, you know what, I have a job right now when so many people are unemployed. I have a place to sleep right now when I'm seeing people sleep out on the street. I have potable drinking water right now when a lot of people I know have bacteria and disease in their water. Figuring out ways to reconfigure your expectations is a, is a form of practicing gratitude. And that actually is rewiring the neuroplasticity in your brain because we are pre-programmed to identify problems. We have that negativity bias. But if we can rewire our brains to focus on the things that we already have, that we enjoy, that's gonna allow us to, to, to really be happier with those jobs that we already have when we might not like every aspect of it. Fabulous, fabulous. You're definitely bringing the point home, Rahul. I think Rahul is again emphasizing on the on the part of being being of paying gratitude for what you have, focusing on things that you have, uh, focusing on the little things that we all enjoy, but we take all of these things for granted, and we always are looking for things which we do not have, and there is no limit to uh, that point because we reach one milestone, and the milestone is now next one, and we always tell ourselves we'll be happy when we reach that milestone, and we keep pushing the milestone and we reach the previous one. So. The, the happiness is in enjoying what you have and appreciating what you have and focusing on what you have. Uh, focusing on the solutions, not on the problems. Thank you so much, Rahul, for, for enlightening us on that. Dr. Rana, <clears throat> you have uh, worked so much in the past in technology areas. We want to talk to you about investors. Now, a, li a little bit of business side of the conversation. Uh, what do investors look for when they start, when they, when, they, when they invest into a startup, a tech startup, a deep tech startup? What are their uh, bucket list to look for? I think, uh, uh, first of all, it varies uh, from uh, the kind of investors you have, but there are common themes. Uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, you know, uh, there was a word used by, I think, Shani, the market fit. Uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, the first criteria that what you're doing, is there somebody who would value that? right? That it has to be, because often we do things which we feel are valuable to us, which uh, is what gives us pleasure, but investors look at it, okay, that's good for you, you enjoy doing it, but is anybody else values this, okay? Uh, that sometimes is a conflict for entrepreneurs uh, who uh, are pursuing for different reasons. Uh, but uh, it is, uh, 
when you think about it, that uh, if you are valuing something that you're doing, you have to find, uh, uh, and you can find a lot of others like you who would value what you're doing too. So, so you have to define your market, right? So they like to see what is your market and what is its size. But more importantly, or probably the most importantly, they look at uh, your uh, or team's ability to execute that. Because ideas are commonplace. Ideas are very easy. You spend half an hour on Google and you'll, you can create thousands of ideas worth doing, right? Uh, now, so that's the second thing or sometimes the first thing that look, are you uh, really uh, passionate about it? Uh, you know, uh, are you going to uh, continue doing this or you'll get bored after a while? Uh, so what are your really underlying motivations for doing this? Okay. So they look at the, the team's ability to execute there uh, because everything else uh, they can uh, uh, put together uh, by putting the money in, right? So another way to look at it is, okay, if I have all the money in the world, uh, what do I need to succeed? Okay. Uh, so does this team, does the entrepreneur have those remaining things? They don't have money which I can provide, but do they have the rest, right? So uh, that's, that's uh, in a sense, is the common theme. And uh, of course, the chemistry of the investors in the team is very important. Do they communicate well, uh, which amounts down to, uh, is this guy going to listen to us? Okay, which is always a source of conflict uh, there that you may initially project that you're going to listen to the investors, but the chances are no entrepreneurs really like to listen to investors because investors have a narrower perspective of things, which is only financial and entrepreneurs have a broader perspective of things and finance or money is a kind of side effect of what they're doing. So there is ought to be going to be disconnect how effectively an entrepreneur is able to manage that, uh, navigate through that is also a determinant of success, okay? Because once you uh, make your early investors mad, uh, it is kind of hard to get the second set of investors because they always like to find out why is your earlier investor not continuing to invest in you, right? And that becomes a big, big negative. <laughs> and that's an advice that even though you may not like your investors, you have a disconnect, but you have must have a good relationship with them. Excellent. Great. So, Wonderful. Those are some great points, Dr. Rana. I think he's talking about uh, investors will look for market size, product market fit. The team is also very important, not just the idea, but the investor, whether the, whether the founders have the right attitude, right values to run the company. Uh, thank you so much, Rana, for, for telling us all those points. Uh, Etin, uh, you come up with CP experience in the your domain experience in Countable, whereas tech platform is taken care of uh, by your in-house tech team, or do you outsource the tech to some other place? Um, it's actually both. Um, and I did uh, a design thinking course from MIT as well. Um, and when I came out, I knew that you know if you're looking to build um, 
business was something that I learned uh, when I was with the firm. So business, learning business and doing business and how to really look at the intricate uh, aspects of building a team, uh, building processes, building tech is all part of the same business. You know, we're always in people business. We're not in accounting or other businesses and everything. It's always about buying someone's, not buying, but getting someone's time and then and then solving someone's problem using the resources that you have and people are the best resources and the most valuable assets we have today. So working with an accounting firm, I think I did have an understanding around how to work with people and which is very, very, very important, to, way more important in my belief is, is the tech component. The tech is what immediately jump starts, like create that uh, disruptive moment but then once you've created that moment, now you want to actually expand that in the world. And you need people, unless we are in a scenario where we do have that cognitive AI um, scenarios that are helping you grow that as well. And, you know, in some cases, Amazon is going in that direction. As you can see, we will probably live in the world where both sides live and, and helping um, deploy technologies and transformation mm -hmm. faster. Um, from my perspective, when I was coming out, um, I knew that I understand the problem really well, living that pain for a good number of years. But the tech is something that is prominent. And luckily, I live in the world where the digital transformation is happening much faster pace than it ever was even 20 years ago or 10 years ago. So the resources were available. All I had to do was aligning those resources with my purpose. Um, you know, do I have enough buying in the, in the world that says, hey, you're doing something valuable. I think I'd like to join you. And... And no matter what we do, whether it's co-founders or the right team or the right size, um, there is that alignment that is absolutely needed. Uh, you know, we, we got an investor alignment, people who came with the purpose. More than half of our investors are from the professional community who understand that pain. And they said, we see the vision. And, and then there are some types of investors who are supporting other smaller investors, so they have a different mandate. They're, they're looking for ROI for all the right reasons because they have an obligation towards their investors. So we went through all that different cycle and from, a, from coming back from a tech perspective, it's still evolving. Every day we talk about machine learning and in, incorporating blockchain and incorporating something else. In five years from now, we may have a completely different concept of how technology should function. Um, I, I just feel really grateful that anybody, you know, the message is anyone who has the right passion and really truly looking to solve, if they just go and take that leap of faith, you will find way more support than you initially thought there is. It may seem extremely challenging, but if you are coming from a position of grit and a position of willpower and saying, I'm going to continue trying, the failure is only a failure when you accept it. Otherwise, it's always learning. You just keep on trying, and I guarantee from my own perspective that I've seen consistently over and over that you will find our truth. You, don't, you may not find the truth that you like it to hear, but you will find our truth that you can live by and find peace in that and continue moving forward. And from that point onwards, it becomes easier and easier and easier. Excellent. Wonderful. Uh, great points again, Etin. Uh, I think we all can use these points. Uh, sit back and relax and think about uh, all these things because even if you see if you if you see Bill Gates or anybody else they always used to take like a week off they call it think week and reflect on your actions reflect on what you're doing and and think of a bigger purpose and try to achieve a bigger purpose so that you feel fulfilled your life is more meaningful uh, thank you so much Etin for for being at home uh, <clears throat> Rahul you did an MBA from MIT what are the 
what are the best or top two or top three takeaways from your MBA from MIT? <laughs> um, well, it's, uh, they have a, a euphemism there. They call it uh, drinking water from the fire hose, which means that we are intentionally going to overwhelm you all the time. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it, it's a humbling experience. What, so what, one of the, the main takeaways is, um, is that um, it, it pays to be the, the dumbest person in the room. You know, it, it, surrounding yourself with people that, are, you know, and intelligence is nuanced too. Um, yeah, I, I realized really quickly when I was next to CPAs and, and NASA rocket scientists that I wasn't going to to, to compete intellectually with some of these individuals on a quantitative level. But at the same time, when I got asked to, to make a speech in front of the class, my previous career was in the music industry, like, you know, like Shawnee. I was, I was a, a guitarist in a rock band for eight years. You know, going up in front of a crowd was not a problem for me. And so then I was like, okay, you know, you, you can run my regression, you know, I'll pitch the idea, <laughs> and we all have, we all have our strengths and superpowers, and um, and so so that was one thing that I picked up was that you know find people around you who come who complement your skill sets that are smarter than you in a bunch of ways, and and to to tie it back to what Atin was talking about too with the um, with the tech development for me I'm I'm not a technical person I'm I'm not the person who's going to write the code. And so finding that right team, both in-house as well as outsourced dev team, which we actually have some software uh, developers right now in India, was really important for us. Um, and the second one, I'll, I'll, I can't even think of it right now, on, but I'll, I'll try to make it quick on what, what the second major takeaway is. Um, I, you know what? I think it's, it's, it's similar to the first one was, which was, and I actually learned it at McKinsey as well, it doesn't help that much to, to be kind of good at a lot of things. Um, it's, it's, it's more important to recognize where your peaks are and focus on your strengths. I feel a lot of times the narrative is, you know, challenge yourself, try new things, and, and, and try, to, try to, like, face that adversity, which, you know, has some value as well, but for me, it's, it's much more about, no, do the things that aren't as challenging for you and run with those. <laughs> and, uh, and I think because it's, it's much better to be really good or excellent at a few different things rather than be a jack of all trades where, where you're kind of, you're not pushing the envelope on any of it. Um, that so those, makes those complete sense. Favorites. Yes, absolutely. So I think that's exactly what even Tony, Tony Robbins uh, used to say in a lot of his videos that you must always, always focus on your strength. Don't worry about a weakness. For your, cut a check for a, for a problem or cut a check for things that you're weak at. Somebody else should do the things that you're weak at and that should be their strengths. And you keep focusing on your strengths and yourself and keep becoming, keep becoming better at what you are good at. Uh, that's the way you will progress more in life and you, you have a more meaningful, fulfilled life. Uh, thank you, Rahul, for, for, for sharing those tips. Uh, Shani, coming to you. <clears throat> so in your, in your company, uh, where do you spend most of your time and what's your focus 
your specific, where do you spend your time and what's your focus in your company? You, you are muted, uh, Shani. Our focus is on changing or improving the way people interact with content today, uh, but also in an aspect that is more um, artist friendly or creator friendly. That's that's where we are. We are unfortunately an investment fund, so we do work also focus on the financial aspect and the IRR and the return for the investors. Um, but um, it's very important for us that the core community focuses on developing new things. I spend most of my time listening. Um, and to Raul's point, I think I did an incredible job in coming in building a team of people that are far smarter than I am, uh, that are constantly helping me um, think. And that's, you know, that's the main thing. You talked about being the stupidest person in the room. I, for, mo for most of my life, I was the smartest one, or at least I thought I was the smartest one, which is something I always find in common with the entrepreneurs that I meet, right? Um, and... Um, so identifying where you are, where you can actually learn, being around people who can contribute to the conversation, who stop and let you think, right? That's that's the moment. It's where these are the places where you want to be. Um, and then the other aspect is where you can contribute, right? Where I spend most of my time and where I think I have the most value. Um, I also, my one of my greatest sins is that trying to do everything because of, you know, control issues. Because I feel like there's might be something here that I'm not seeing or there might be something there that I should be involved in and you're trying to coordinate everything. So letting go is a big issue, I think, for every, for any entrepreneur. Um, and a part of it is just putting together a process that you feel comfortable with and it's a gradual process. It's a trusting process and it goes back to your relationships with the people that you work with and going back to um, one, of the, um, one of the points that were mentioned here that's very valuable is the relationship between the investors and the startup and the entrepreneur. It's about trust. It's whether or not I can continue to communicate with the entrepreneur after I give him the money in the same level he's trying to communicate with me now, right? Because as an, an investor, we know all the time that once they get the money, all of a sudden the whole dynamic shifts. Um, so building that relationship, uh, identifying strategic partners and investors that you want to help guide you. It's not from a controlling side, it's from like helping and guiding and you know, giving you the two cents that they can. Um, but then it, it goes back to people. It goes back to listening to why someone wants to make, be a part of the solution they wanna be a part of. So how, it, how did they identify the need, right? Second aspect of the people of the relationship is what's gonna happen when they fail because they are going to fail to Anit's point. They are going to fail. There's no doubt about it. Will they be able to make the switch in real time? Will they be able to acknowledge the challenges so they can solve some of the assets that they managed to build? Um, so that's these are the this is this is where I spend my time trying to analyze a little bit of the doing a little bit of the risk management um, and listening to the entrepreneur and seeing where we think we can truly connect and add value. Excellent. Uh, Shani, you made some fabulous points. Let me just uh, summarize those. Shani made a very important point, which is also being endorsed by Henry Ford. Henry Ford mentioned about hiring people who are smarter than you and then trusting them to do what, what you have hired them for. That's a very important point Shani has made. Uh, <clears throat> Shani, you've also spoken about um, relationships. I think a study being done in Harvard for 75 years, relationships are the most important thing that you would eventually want in your life. If you have healthy relationships, you would have a healthy and a meaningful and a long life. I think that's that's also a very important point you made. One question, one follow-up question I want to ask you. Do you think techno art can run without Shani? 
Um, yeah, that's an incredibly <laughs> painful point. Oh my, you just hit the nail on the head. What are you doing? Uh, well, I, mean, I don't think, I, I, I answer from a different direction. I don't think any company can run without the involvement of the visionary. I don't think that's a possibility. I think that as much as we want to can create a scale and create a platform and create an automated process, there is a certain assets. And then and, and we've seen it with, with, um, uh, with Apple specifically, um, you know, there's certain um, um, essence that the entrepreneur, that the, the visionary brings to, brings to it. We have to make sure that that person is aware of the fact that he might not be the best executor, right? So to create the best scale is to identify where the vision comes in and when you need to tap back in to maintain that vision, right? To keep pumping oxygen into whatever it is you're doing. But there, there has to be a skill. There has to be a process that can be separated from Shani Pellet. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's funny. But yes, this story is also on the question we ask as investors, of course. Uh, but yeah, it's an also, it's, as you said, it's a question we ask ourselves all the time and whether or not this organization can run without me and Tristan. And we, we, we both actually represent very separate sides of the organization. Um, but um, yeah, that, we, let's put it this way. We thrive to that point. Uh, but we also acknowledge that there's there is value to the fact that it it will be different if it does. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I think uh, that's a great point. Yeah, Amit, uh, Amit, quickly, uh, just the visionary aspect. I think uh, Shani made a very important point. Uh, to me, a visionary knows when to say no. That's the most important thing the vision brings. Yes, okay. absolutely. Which uh, so, non visionaries probably don't know when to say no, when to say yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, 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 your pain point, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's uh, an interesting, yeah. Something for, something for me. That's a takeaway for me this morning. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. So, yes, uh, and every organization is a visionary to, to go forward. It's a very important point. My qu follow up question, Dr. Rana, is. Uh, should startups be put on uh, autopilot mode when you like, for example, entrepreneurs should be, should they target to put their companies on autopilot and move on to the next company? Should that be the aim for founders? Putting the company on autopilot mode to the next one, autopilot mode to the next one. Should that be an aim? Should that be an aim, Dr. Rana? Uh, not really. I. But if you go, uh, uh, what Rahul said, that you focus on your strengths. If your strength is to take uh, a company from zero to a certain level, and after that you're not strong, then you can move on, you hand it over to somebody who is strong in taking from that point onwards, okay? Uh, so, it, it, so if your strength is really in starting things, uh, then you continue doing that, what you're saying. You start and let others take over and then you start something new. Uh, but if that is not the case, uh, if you uh, uh, want to see your, uh, if you're a visionary and you want to see your vision go you know, through all the way uh, to its completion, then you would like to stay uh, uh, you know, uh, throughout the journey until that vision is kind of realized uh, uh, to some degree. So it, it depends upon entrepreneur to entrepreneur. There is no such uh, single uh, uh, formula there. Great, great. So uh, Shani, we have a question from the from the audience for you. I'm not sure 
whether this is subject or not, but let me ask you. So it says, how do you look at NFT? NFT is, uh, I think, non-fungible tokens. Uh, how can creators take advantage of this and what are the implications on the IP side? You're, you're muted, uh, Shani. There are great implications on the IP side because you actually get to track uh, the value and, and you know, Sotheby's increases have been doing it for a while and then it's kind of creating its own hype. A lot of the interesting platforms are actually coming out of Israel and we're very excited about that. Um, the, the core question is again, the separation between the hype and the value, right? Right now there's a hype around it. Um, you can, people want to be involved in it. They're trying to figure out how it can be integrated in different verticals, brands that have a lot of money want to use it, create new assets. Uh, and to monetize their assets, but the sun hasn't sank, sank yet. So we don't really know where the value is gonna be. We've had the blockchain integration aspect for a long time. So NFT is not that far away from that, right? But blockchain hasn't been fully integrated and we haven't even identified where it can be fully integrated and present real value. If you look at the media entertainment space, you can see some of the work around virtual assets, right? Identifying virtual assets, being able to track these virtual assets. That's incredibly important from a technological standpoint, which by the way, has been in, it's been here for 12 years. There's nothing new there. Um, the, um, so that's on the, uh, so that uh, capturing that, being able to track that on the fine art aspect, the fine arts, that can be a revolutionary thing, right? Because we don't know, you know, people exchange hands, it's been a great instrument for money laundering. Now you can actually track what's happening, why it's valued, where it's valued, where has it been, where it's been presented. Um, for ticket sales, it can be an incredible um, uh, integration. We have to we have to contract scouting so people can actually resell tickets. And if they can, it will be from directly from the artists. The biggest difference that this brings in, whether through NFT or blockchain or whatever virtual integration and tracking systems is that you can now bring the power back to the artist community. The artists can now communicate directly and monetize and leverage their, the their, um, their audience directly and not through a third party. We do have to be careful though, and this goes back to the techno art model and mission that these technology platforms are now turning into the bad guys because they're the ones taking the commission. They're the one managing the relationship. They're the one making it overly complicated to use for artists. So that's where I feel like the regulators needs to step in and say, okay, there's a new revolutionary technology. It should be available to artists. How do we actually support startups, technology organizations that can breach that gap, that can let the artists use leverage these tools to manage their career uh, independently. Um, we're doing it now. We just launched Markers, MarkersArt.com. It's a platform that helps artists and brands connect directly. It's an algorithm that Tristan implemented that connects both sides and tells an artist uh, which brands they should work with and brands which work which artists they should work with based on values, right? So it's not a traditional influencer platform. It actually shares the values and the values of the mutual communities. Uh, and now we are looking to integrate that into a tracking um, uh, process so both sides can, you know, monetize the assets that they create together, right, uh, and grow together. Um, so, I mean, that's, but these are the kind of solutions that we would like to see this implemented in. Um, there's two levels of NFT, just like everything else. There's the majors, right, Warner just signed a deal to do the avatars of their artists through NFT and monetize that. Um, there's other NFT platforms that work with more the, the independent artists, independent labels, so you can get an aggregation. But at the end of the day is what's actually going to stick. People are going to buy avatars. That's nice. You know, it's the Tamaguchi. It's, it starts. It's nice. There's a hype. 
Um, where where is it gonna? What's the real asset that's gonna stay afterwards? And I'm we're we're looking into that, but no one really knows. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's, it's like it's like cryptocurrency, uh, where there's a hype uh, all the time, but you never know where it's gonna go. The future is still uncertain, and people are still trying their hands on it. Uh, yes, uh, makes sense. Uh, Rahul, uh, how are you using technology uh, in your project? Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, oftentimes I question whether or not I'm even like, running a tech company. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, I'm like, am I? <laughs> because the the value itself is not the technology. It, it never has been. You know, the the technology is there as a vehicle of of just delivering content and experiences. And so right now on our legacy platform, which was very much Zoom-based as well as we custom-coded and created data visualization dashboards on emotional health for teams, that was the tech play there. But it was, it was almost very much a consulting play at the same time. It was very services-based. It's us going into organizations and really working with them um, and teaching skills. As we're moving to more of a SaaS play in a digital platform, one way to think about it in, in terms of investor speak is uh, the Peloton for emotional well-being. Um, that is much more of a technology play in the sense that everything's integrated under one digital roof. Suddenly all the workshops, all the daily challenges, the, the micro-learning videos, they're, they're all on one platform and it's integrating with your work calendar um, and, uh, and so then it becomes much more of, of kind of this app or, or digital play. Um, and it allows us to scale, uh, uh, pretty, pretty big because some of our employers that we're working with people like Microsoft and things like that, there are 150,000 people just in one company alone. And so, so to actually create a, a meaningful difference in an organization that large, you either have to have an army of, of providers or you need to figure out a way to scale it. And, and so that's how we're, we're leveraging technology. But at the same time, like we don't wanna do it so much that it takes out the human aspect of it. Um, one of the things that we've seen through the pandemic is things like Calm or, or, or Headspace, um, not that they're, they're inherently bad by any means, but, but they're, they're purely tech play. And, and we know that happiness and true transformation can't be something that you can stream away. It's not something that's just, you know, on that, like this sleep story is gonna do it and then I'm good. Um, there needs to be a human element. And so, so that's something we wanna make sure not to lose um, when, when we're thinking about scale. Wonderful, wonderful. A great way of putting uh, in, in nice words, uh, Rahul, uh, he's emphasizing on the fact that in, in his business is very important that human element is there. It's not just pure tech play streaming and getting happy by listening to some meditation. Uh, Etin, uh, this is about last round and uh, last, last one, two questions. Uh, you have been able to find your purpose, your meaning. How would you suggest or advice that people should find theirs oh oh my god that's <laughs> that's a uh, that's an amazing question um 
Okay, I'm going to try and answer the question. Please don't take me or judge me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so here's a, here's what I believe, and I think uh, it worked a lot, um, a lot better when I actually went back and thought about it. There's a four stages of evolution, and, and I'll divide them into two different parts. One, I believe, is knowing, understanding, practicing, and being. Um, so a lot of people know a lot of stuff, and and then they they start to understand what that really knowing looks like. They came across this concept, and they start to learn and educate themselves into it and everything. They start to become an understanding, and then you get into practicing. There's no shortcuts around it. You have to then take that understanding and start to practice that until it becomes you. And at that point in time, you can't go back into knowing because you are it. So that's a more spiritual way of looking at it. That's where the change and transformation happens. So it's from the cusp of understanding to practicing is where the cusp of change and transformation happens. Um, coming back and looking at it um, from a business side of it, um, if you look at um, logical thinkers, we have flow genome study done by a lot of people that talks about uh, scientifically how to tap into brain neurotransmitters that allows you to be able to be in the state of flow of what is the what we call is a runner's high. You know, the time goes and you don't even realize it and everything. You are into your best and your happiest. And you, how do you really tap into that state in a normal sense? And there's studies done under flow genome. And the way they say it is you want to find a passion, you don't know what passion is start with curiosity and, and list out 25 curiosities stack them together which ones makes the most sense to you and once you know curious people don't get curious about nothing people get curious about something that they know about you know you go in a mall you want a pant you go look for that particular thing because your brain's reticular activation system is now looking for that and ignoring everything else even though the best lessons in life is actually stuck right in front of you and you won't look at it because your brain is just fully occupied in looking for that one answer that you're looking for so you have to build curiosity where you are curious about everything not just curious about things that you know about and that's a very difficult thing to build so you have to come from that approach and once you have that curiosity then you start building into a motivation and the and the point from curiosity to motivation is is learning small everyday incremental learning you got curious about something but now you actually want to understand it it's both the same lessons that, but i'm putting it in different context this is more scientifically proven method and once you become a motivator then you become an expert in that and the passion just comes naturally and the, as soon as you align them with the purpose or the problem that you're solving you will become passionate about it so that's how i applied that principles in my life and it worked really well for me and i think uh, uh, the last thing i would say is once you become uh, a butterfly from being a caterpillar, you cannot go back into being a caterpillar um, because the caterpillar community will not accept you. You won't look the same. You won't feel the same. You won't connect the same. So there's no going back. That's a true transformation. So you find that transformation, you'll find yourself in a different realm altogether. Fabulous, fabulous. I don't think I should be summarizing that. I'm not able to do justice to that. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Atin. Thank you very much for that. In this in this round, guys, uh, about we have just a few minutes to go. If you have a question to a fellow speaker uh, or to me about IP or patents or trademarks or to a fellow speaker, uh, you can shoot now. I have so many and I'm sure all of us do it. So, so what you're doing right now is not fair. I would take the this minute to thank you for putting together such an incredible panel. Um, I have to say, this has been a fascinating morning. I mean, hearing your guys' perspective, um, I mean, I, I, you know, uh, Dr. Rana, I gotta say, when you said you all feel like there's a sense of purpose to our lives, trust me, there isn't. 
<laughs> that was the, you know, as the moment we kind of aligned all of us and all of our egos for a second, put it aside, let's focus on what it is you guys are actually doing and how you should do it better. So I, I thank you for that. Um, I think, I mean, I, I just, yeah, so that's, I just want to thank you, Amit, for putting together this incredible panel. I'll, obviously, we'll connect with everyone afterwards, but this Absolutely. is Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank I, you for I being won't take too much time, but I will echo the same. Absolutely. It's been a wonderful morning. Uh, set the stage very, very nicely and everything. Remind me the fact that we are um, who, what we do in, in most sense and how we believe and how we see and how we feel. Uh, so feel more, think less a little bit, because I think there's a, there's a stirred decision comes from the heart rather than thinking too much. You could get caught up in the scenario of what's right and wrong versus how you feel. And sometimes the drivers also helps a lot. Fabulous, fabulous. Thank you, Samaritan. Yeah, Amit, uh, yeah, again, uh, great panel and uh, uh, it's amazing to see uh, the transformation that is happening uh, in uh, this uh, next generation of entrepreneurs. I think uh, they are thinking uh, more uh, holistically about things and it's very, very encouraging to know. Uh, I just want to add, uh, uh, to uh, the point that Atin made about curiosity, that uh, instead of being curious about uh, few things, uh, you want to be curious about everything. And that's hard. So my uh, process of doing that, or what I have discovered is that there is a sort of an intermediate stage where you have to be curious about nothing before you can be curious about everything. Okay? So it's like detoxification of your mind uh, is a necessary step. Uh, it's not a linear process uh, that you go from being curious about few to curious about many. Uh, and that's about really standing on the side and observe you know, what is going on, why I'm curious about this thing and not about that, right? Uh, so, uh, this deconstruction uh, uh, is important before reconstruction can become. And yes, you can't go back, but where you are, you remember that that is also very temporary phase. You will go somewhere else. So you're not going to stay there either. So only ways to go forward, not backwards. Uh, that's for sure. All yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. I, th I thought Mr. Rana time tracking was a real thing. We are eventually going to go back. <laughs> or forward somewhere in the world but nobody knows but we all yeah time is our mental construction ourselves time isn't real so yeah yeah, yeah. which means we uh, can go wherever we so want, we right? can define whichever way we want it going forward or backward <laughs> so i i have a three-year-old son and he calls his watch as time so he asked me where is my time i said it's in the wardrobe he puts in, i have my time now and the statement is so strong. I have my time. It's, very it's, it's profound, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very profound. Smart kid. He knows, how to, he knows how to differentiate. He acknowledges the difference. He's worrying his time and now he's putting it aside. That's good. <laughs> great great uh, conversation, guys. This, this talk is recorded. We'll, uh, we will uh, tag you once we upload it on social media. We'll also put some snippets on it. Thank you so much for being such a fabulous panel and being such a giver. Uh, you guys... Gave away, gave away all your knowledge and secrets and secret sauce and uh, was truly enlightening uh, to speak to such, such a fabulous panel. Uh, thank you so much again for coming this morning. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Thank, thank you, everyone. You too, guys. Take care of yourself. I'll connect all of you.
All right. Bye-bye.